Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. My air conditioning might kick in, so we'll see what happens. Um, I forgot. You know what? I should just turn it off. I should just turn it off. I should turn it off so Josh doesn't have to worry about editing. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Josh won't have to worry about editing. Um, so here we are, folks. Um, what is it? August 7th already. And it's, uh, the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Um, man, life keeps moving forward. So there's a few things I was going to talk about today, um, as always. But I think we're just going to go ahead and really just jump into the talk. It's not going to be a super long one, um, because I think it's just important sometimes to kind of remember, what are we doing here? You know, what are we, what are we trying to accomplish um, with revolution right now and being an online ministry or church or gathering or whatever we call it right now? Um, and, and what are, what are, what are we, what are we trying to do to move forward? And uh, what are we doing here? And to be honest with you right now, I, you know, I'm working on another project. I'm working on a documentary about my family right now. And uh, that's been keeping me pretty, pretty busy. Um, and thank goodness that it's been there because it's also provided me with another job to do and, and, and to, to live. <laughs> um, so that's, that's been nice. Um, there's a video of me going back to North Carolina that you can see I put up on here for you guys to see. Try to check in from all my adventures when I get to go on the road to special places. Um, you know, but yeah, so, so the future of revolution and all that, I, I think will be covered kind of in the talk today a little bit. So I think we'll just jump in. We'll just jump right into the talk. I was trying to think if anything wild happened this week. Um, but man, it's like with living in this world, it's like, what does wild even mean anymore? You know, what does even crazy mean anymore? It's like, it just seems like everything in this, like, this universe is constantly insane, you know? So, today was one of those uh, days where I started writing out, writing out my talk and, and looking at it, and then I just kind of rewrote. Like I left left it and then came back to it and wrote something else because I, I just felt like we probably need to talk about what are we trying to do here, you know? And I think that's sometimes the question. And for me, uh, my thoughts about revolution and my hope for revolution is it's something that's always been a part of it, whether we're meeting in person in a community or whether we're meeting online, um, you know, I mean, we're doing much better online than we ever were in Minneapolis. Um, you know, Minneapolis, we had a very small congregation of really great people, but it was very small, you know. So right now we're, we're doing pretty cool. But 
my hope for 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 revolution is is really my hope for the church and what is my hope for the church is reformation and to the point where we don't even like identify as a church right now which is is strange you know we're just trying to be a gathering in the community so we can come together and and have tough conversations um but my hope is for reformation of the church and actually you know we we talk about community as like one body here but for me reformation in the capital c church which almost seems impossible and i know it's an impossible dream to be honest with you but i'm a prisoner of hope um i got that from cornell west um <laughs> you know um i'm a prisoner of hope so so i stick with these impossible dreams and i'm gonna live my life to see I have to prove to myself that it's impossible. And people like Dr. King and, and people like that who inspire my, my life and my work and also all these punk rock stars and stuff you see behind me and you know, people from all over. Um, but, but, but for me, reformation is more important than even having a community here because I want to see reformation. And I, what I want to say is I think that all of you are part of that you are part of that you know this isn't i don't think this is a call for just me i think this is a call for us as a community is what are we doing you know great thing about online stuff and being on youtube and and seeing you guys all out there doing your thing and, and living in all different parts of the world some of you are on walks right now listening on a podcast some of you are watching in different countries you know the cool thing about that is is, is it's like you know we're in places where we can make differences and we might not be all in the same community, but we're probably better off being in different places in the country, being in different jobs and different ideas. Uh, 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 you've been planted <laughs> and you're special secret agents and it's a mission impossible. You know, um, if you, your mission, if you choose to accept is reformation. And there's a lot to Reformation. You know, there's a lot to um, uh, huge, it's huge, but it's been done before. And, and, and I think Reformation in a different way, but it's, it's strange how wild and how harsh the, the world is getting. It, the world has turned into a crazy place, really has. And, and it's easy to like think like, well, it's just social media and it's just in the comments. Do you remember when YouTube was like the comments were the worst thing in the world? Like YouTube comments, never read the comments, you know? And now we basically, all of our social media platforms are just really us commenting on each other. Interesting enough that we just decided to dive headfirst into that shit show. Um, but today, it, it, I went to Starbucks to get a coffee, a nice tea actually. Um, and um, finished this talk up, and there was a code of conduct, pretty much, that they had put up for people who who patronize, patron, 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 patronizing. <laughs> That's not probably, but for the patrons, for us as customers, just saying, this is how we expect you to act if you're in Starbucks. Now, this was not like a copied out like just that particular Starbucks this was a sticker and it was on the door and it was telling people like 
this is how we need you to act when you come into Starbucks. And it is insane to me that, like, there reminds me of the mall, you know? And the mall I got as a kid because I was a kid and I was like, yeah, we're kind of coming in here causing trouble and we're probably not buying all the stuff when, you know, we're, you know, hanging out and trying to pick up girls and, and whatever we did back then. Um, you know, they didn't want us skateboarding through the mall. Okay, I get it. But this is a coffee shop, you know? And um, <laughs> so it's like, if you're going to sit here, if you're going to work here, this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to act, you know? And I remember thinking about the business model of Starbucks like 20 years ago, and it was like, we're, we're called to be the third place, you know? We want you to go home and work and in Starbucks, you know? And, um, and, and the psychology behind Starbucks of like why some Starbucks have like really uncomfortable chairs and why other ones have comfortable chairs. And it, almost if you look at what communities these Starbucks are in, you can, you can almost tell by their chairs, honestly, because um, that's how corporations work. Um, but it's like these rules and regulations of like how you can act in, in Starbucks. And, um, <laughs> people who don't have on patron patronizers that would be great maybe we'll do that if we ever get a patron um people has a lot pete has a lot of patronizers but so here i am I, i'm in starbucks and i'm seeing this code of conduct and i'm going like is this like is the world just gone to hell like to the point where people can't even you know act a certain way in a coffee shop like we can't even be decent to each other you know and it's one thing oh we were all up caged up for two years or whatever for the, you know, the COVID. But it's like we forgot how to treat each other, you know? So I don't know if this is like the corporation making excuses so they can keep, you know, close down shops that, that, that try to get, um, uh, what is it they're, they're trying to get? Um, what is the word I'm looking for? I hate when I lose words. Very unprofessional. Um, who are trying to organize, who are trying to get, you know, organize and, and create, get workers' rights and things like that. Um, or is it a legitimate thing that people are just, behavior is getting worse and we don't even know how to treat other people in coffee shops? Um, you know? Or are they afraid that, that they, these, these workers are gonna get together and organize and, and get better pay and better coverage? I don't know, it's, it, it's weird, but I just, I kind of find it nerve wracking that when I go into places and they have rules on how you have to act as though it's automatically expected that people don't know how to behave and don't know how to treat each other. Now, why does this bother me? Um, because I'm some extremist. No, it bothers me because like right now, the job of what we're trying to do is like, how do we argue well? How do we disagree well? How do we come together over different issues, you know? And, um, and now Starbucks is telling us how we have to act as adults when we come and buy coffee and sit down in their shops. You know, it's like, um, obviously those are up there for a reason. Probably because some people aren't acting nice and being kind to people who are working there and it's like you know if we can't treat each other kind if we can't treat each other who are working like 
minimum wage, maybe probably above minimum wage at Starbucks. But, you know, these, these jobs, if we can't show respect to those folks, like who will we become? You know, like we're not probably going to reform the church or change the world if we can't be kind to a waiter or waitress, you know? And um, if we can't be, you know, if we can't tolerate not the best service, if we can't realize that even service people have bad days. Um, my first wife was, was uh, in the service industry and, uh, you know, she'd come home bawling sometimes because people were so cruel. Because um, you expect people to know how to act, you know? And, and uh, often, like, if, like, she worked at this restaurant called Houston's, which was one of my favorite restaurants, but if, like, people ran out and didn't pay, the restaurant would make her pay for the meal, which I always thought was, like, super shitty. Like, the corporations, like, bottom line, like, oh, yeah, we're going to make the server who barely makes enough money to live pay for the meal because somebody ran out because it's their responsibility to make sure they don't leave. Like, it's like, ugh. Anyhow. Enough of me complaining about the man, but this is what I'm just saying is like, you know, what, ha, what we've come to a point where, where, where Starbucks, the third place, is now has to give us rules and regulations. Like we're teenagers at the mall, like our mom's dropping us off at the mall, except it's, we're dropping ourselves off and we're being told how to, how need to conduct ourselves. So to think that the world is in a great place right now or going in a great direction right now probably is not the, the greatest thing. It, it's not. I, I mean, I look at my personal Facebook page and I look at the difference between my friends and I see all this, like, they don't even know they're fighting each other because I just see the different posts because they probably don't follow each other. And it's just so divisive. It's, it's sad. And why we feel the need to put out div divisive stuff. Um, I mean, I mean, if it, I guess if it brings great conversation, that's good. But now, now, as I talk about reform, reform can bring divisiveness, and it has, and it brought violence. And my idea of reform is a nonviolent reform, one that follows the principles of Dr. King's nonviolence. So it's not just nonviolence of the fist, but it's nonviolence of the tongue as well, kind of what the rules that Starbucks are telling us about. Um, reform that can be argued well, you know, educated reform. And in the church, we need to understand, like, and the problem is, 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 is even if you're well-educated within philosophy or theology or, or you have good scholarship, biblical scholarship, there's always people who are going to be like, oh, well, you just bring up scholarship every time you d disagree with me. Um, those probably aren't the people you want to argue scholarship with. The people you probably want to argue scholarship with are other people who understand biblical scholarship or the people you want to have those discussions with. Um, you know, uh, because there has to come a point where, where we, we, we were willing to take a hard look at, at some of these things and have these conversations. Because for me, when I look at Christianity today, it does not seem to hold on either side, conservative or, or, or progressive. I feel like legalism always perhaps creeps in. I think that's always been our problem is legalism creeps in. So it's like everybody starts making rules. The right makes rules. The left makes rules. Everybody's making rules. Um, is legalism creeps in. And so how do we defend ourselves against that legalism coming in to, to say that we're the ones, you know, like we want to, we want to be the chosen ones, you know, it's like we all of a sudden we become Calvinists, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, well, we're God's chosen and you're not. And, you know, at that point, then, of course, you know, the argument's over. 
And what we don't want to do is we don't want to shut down the conversation. Matter of fact, I would rather have a really good conversation even than arguing. Like, how do we do that? Well, we've got to know in ourselves that we, we are called to love our enemies. We are called to be kind. We are called to give answers, but to be humble when we give those answers and not be proudful and not do it to drop the mic and shut them down, but to help other people think well as well and, and use critical thinking. Um, but we do need things like good scholarship, good biblical understanding, if we're going to see a reformation. You know, you need to know the Bible. It's not enough to just be like, well, I just read the red letters, and I just think Jesus is this way, and everybody else can go screw themselves. It's like, that doesn't work. Like, if you say that to me, I'm going to be like, well, you don't, read, you don't read Paul? Well, I don't like what Paul says over here. Well, either do I, but that's not Paul. Well, how, how do you know that's not Paul? Well, I can show you here and here and here. We can look at these, we can look at the scholarship. We can look at biblical, we can read biblical historians and we can look at this and figure this out, that this is not Paul, that there's, that there's problems with the Bible. Oh no, well, you can't have problems with the Bible. So automatically you go into this place, but you've got to know, like these are areas we have to know how to argue well and have good conversations. Um, because I believe one of the reasons we always jump to legalism, one of the reasons we, we, we miss grace out is because, um, you know, we have, we have these, these, these forgeries in the Gospels of, of things like uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and, and some additions into Corinthians and things like this that we don't talk about a lot in the conservative church and really don't talk around about it in the liberal church. So what happens is the conservative church grabs onto these forgeries and says, yeah, this is what we're going to use. And it becomes very angry, very hurtful, very judgmental stuff. And then the liberals just go, well, we're just not going to, we're going to ignore Paul, <laughs> you know. But when you ignore Apostle Paul, you ignore grace. You ignore uh, Galatians. You ignore Corinthians, you, you know, you, you ignore this guy who's trying to bring people together from different walks of life, different backgrounds, and calling us together to be one. So, you know, you get Jesus, which is great, but without Paul, you don't get to see how the church started. You don't get to see the beginnings of the church built, being built. Um, you, you don't get to see uh, the earliest, probably the earliest writings, Galatians is probably the earliest uh, written a book in the Bible, in the New Testament, you don't get to see Paul begging us to uh, to come in, um, you know, come into fellowship. Uh, I think it was about twenty years ago. Archaeologists found the Corinthians community, the Galatians, sorry, the Galatians community, Gaul, and with the Gauls and with with the Jews, and they found the community where they lived in, in Turkey and all this place, and they found archaeologists, found all this stuff, and and proved that it was actually there. And I always think that's really cool because it was like we had this book forever, you know, and people were like, well, I don't know if those two groups would actually meet up, you know, and then, boom, they're like, oh, we found a community. You know, here it is. Um, might have been longer than that that they found it. it there's an article about it in Time Magazine that's pretty cool um, about finding... Galatians, you know, finding the Galatians community. Um, so that's why it's important to know these things and to have good scholarship. And, and, and to, you know, it's, it's not about memory verses. I don't remember anything. I have to go back and look at things. But it's good to be able to have this stuff in your back pocket, also with a lot of grace and a lot of compassion. Now, 
what I'm talking about right now is reformation. What I'm talking about right now is grace. Um, you know, it's vitally important to the message. And what I'm trying to say is, what does revolution want to see happen? What is the idea of this community is reformation? And that it's to the point is that we are so, so all over the place because we're online. We're all over the world. You know, how do we practice these moments of reformation with others in person? You know, how do we have these conversations with people in person and in online but open up these discussions that lead us to a better place. I mean, you know, we don't have one door that we can just put up our, our, our reformation, our thesis, you know. We have to do it in a different way. But it's by saying these things. It's admitting that the Bible is fallible, you know. It's that it has, you know, and there's a whole lot of denominations that were really suffer by admitting that. They may have to change their doctrine because of that. But if we could come together and realize these things together and realize that it actually adds more to our community and opens up the doors of acceptance and love and grace more than it shuts them. You know, that's the, it is good news. You know, when, when you lose some of these things that are written by other people who felt like, well, you know, these things are a little bit too loosey-goosey. We've got to tighten it up. You see, legalism always comes in. And legalism seeks to control things because legalism is, a, is like, it's like the insurance policy. You know, um, if you watch the, uh, what was this, 12 Monkeys, and, and at the end, you know, the plane is flying, and there's that old woman there, and she's like, whoa, what do you do? She's like, I'm an insurance. Like, she's like, I'm going to make sure this thing doesn't happen. Um, I'm the last hope. And some of these folks come in and go like, well, Paul's giving a lot of willy-nilly stuff here, and Jesus, and that. you know, maybe if we put like, how leaders should act and what they should do and and we write this all and we'll put it in one of their names and it, you know i don't think that these guys came in and were like ah, 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 we're going to destroy christianity i think they came in thinking like we're going to have to put in some legalism and some rules and regulations so we can save christianity we'll write it in paul's name and boom it'll be fine and everyone will be okay with it and a lot of people were a lot of people are a lot of scholars are they're a lot of fine with, oh well that's just how they did it back then and, you know a lot of people are fine with that i am not fine with that to be honest with you. I think it's hurt the church. And I think it's hurt the community. And I think it's time for us to like, if we really want reformation, it's time to stand up and go like, okay, hey, printers of the Bible, there might be time to put an asterisk in the pastoral epistles. There might need to be time to put an asterisk near some of these things that were added into Corinthians later. You know, some of these troubling verses that seem to be just really thrown in the middle of nowhere, just thrown in there. Like asterisks with these questions below. And some do, like some uh, translations will say like, oh, well, the original earlier text did not include this story or did not include this ending. And I always respected that because it was, it was proper scholarship. And I believe that there's a lot to say about good scholarship because if this is what we're basing living life, living life well, living amongst others well, our faith, what we're going to put our hopes into, that this is something that we're actually going to follow, it should be correct. It should have right. Like, I don't want to study someone and then find out I've been studying someone who was writing in their name the whole time and that it wasn't actually that person, um, even if they were motivated by that person. Group. I might be interested in knowing it more. I, I might still read it if I know that it wasn't them being like, oh, well, how did they see Paul? Or what did they think from this? Or what, did they, what was their agenda behind this? But these are weird, small questions that you might not think about because we're all focused on like, 
virtue signaling on whatever the virtue is of the day, but for us to move forward, for our children to move forward, for the church to, to survive in this world, these are questions and things that need to be brought up and need to be talked about and don't need to be just talked about, you know, um, behind the doors of academia, you know. This isn't something that academics need to just hold on to and then honestly you go into ministry and they're like, well, don't ever say any of this stuff because it will you lose your job. I've already pretty much lost every job I've had in this world um, as far as religion. So this is why I'm able to say it freely and speak to you freely and say these are things, these are conversations we should be having. And it shouldn't just be a left or conversation. It should be a right conversation as well. And the reason I say that is because most of the way I learned to study was from more of a conservative, literalist view. So that's what led me down these trails of snooping and going like, well, I, I want it to be right. I want it to be, have this together. You know, I, I want it to be, I at least want it to be written by who I said it was written by, and I want to know where these things are. And so that's why I started looking into this stuff, was almost like a way of studying in an, an apologetics type of way of studying the Bible for me that very literal way of studying the Bible that made me go, it's not, this stuff isn't all literal and this stuff doesn't belong here and that stuff doesn't. And I know this is like, it makes even, like I've sat in a room with liberal professors in this talk and having this conversation with them made them uncomfortable. Like, they're, well, don't you think we can still like squeeze something out of that stuff? And I'm like, the people that it's hurting and the people that it's dividing and what it's done to churches and what it's done to denominations and what it's done to communities is is worse than the good that we can squeeze out of these books just because they were canonized. And maybe it's time to start questioning the canon. And people are afraid of this because they're afraid of chaos. But it might be time to add a little chaos into the world and have these hard conversations because if we really do take it seriously, then we want serious answers. And I'm up to debating people who disagree with me. If you disagree with me, and I have, I've disagreed. I've been on a lot of podcasts where people are like, well, Jay, actually, blah, blah, you know, we've had these conversations. You know, unfortunately, usually when I'm having this conversation with somebody who has a doctorate, I can tell you what denomination their doctorate is based out of, based on their opinion. That's why I don't subscribe to uh, a particular denomination. I don't think it's awful to do that. I just not what I do because I don't, I can't subscribe to saying these belief system because I like, I love the Lutherans, but there's things about the Lutherans, a couple things I don't agree with, you know, so I'm not going to be a Lutheran. There's, there's, I'm not going to be a Baptist because there's a big few big things I don't agree with. I definitely will never be assemblies of God because I don't think there's a lot of major great scholarship there. Um, and that's just, that's just me being honest. And how much of people who've been hurt by the church and left the church, you can really lead back to bad scholarship? And how many misguided people in the church you can go back and find bad scholarship and find the things that they're justifying to hurt other people, to keep other people out, is to things that were never really intended to be a part of our faith or our religion. This is a hard conversation because you go like, it'll never change, nothing will ever happen. Yeah, but if we continue to force this conversation to happen, maybe it will. If we continue to move forward and ask these questions over and over again and say, well, let's study this book or, hey, there's a whole book on this, let's look at it, you know. Um, I'm not adding the asking that we add this, the, the secret gospels to the Bible. What I'm just saying is, is I'm asking for some notation, at least, 
to let people know what they're reading because not people who have nine to five jobs every day don't have time to go down the, the scholarship road. That's why I'm lucky enough to have the work and do the work that I do is that I do have some available time where I'm able to read really tough books, that I'm able to look at the scholarship, that I'm able to go on to do in-depth studies to do the job I have and, to, and it's a job. So it's my job to do this, so I'm able to do it. Not everybody has that time. So it needs to be, how do we make this stuff more available to people in the church? Uh, you know, honestly, folks, the church could be a very different place. It could be a much better place. Uh, it could probably look a lot more like the 12 steps uh, than, than, than the church. It would probably be a place where, where, where you would have more diverse people, where you would have conservatives, Republicans, atheists, people... Christians, Satanists, all sitting in one room together uh, knowing that this is a place where they can survive. Oh, Jay, that's so scary. It's not scary. I mean, that's the idea, I think, when Paul came along, you know, and, and was building off the platform that Jesus had, because Jesus, you're going to do greater things than me. And then you get Paul, who is this Pharisee, and all of a sudden he goes like, oh, Gentiles, Gentiles, everybody, everybody's in. Gentiles too. And that was the idea. All, all people. So, look for, you know, uh, reform without scapegoating. Yes, uh, Zoe said we have, uh, we have more in common than we, what we have, we have different, that's true. So again, reform without scapegoating, because scapegoating is something we want to do. And with reform, I think one of the things we need to do is look forward to the future rather than the past. Because when we scapegoat, we're always going to scapegoat people in the past. And so it'd be easy to go like, well, you know, you have these uneducated preachers and you're out doing this and these guys are the problem and now here we are the answer. And I'm not, I don't think that's the way to go. I think the way to go is that we're going to have these tough conversations and they're going to hurt and it's going to require patience and it's going to, die, it's going to require us dying to ourselves, you know, and we're gonna to have to continue to move forward. But if we look back and we blame this group and that group, then we're gonna alienate them. And I don't think we wanna alienate them. What I wanna do is say like, of course they believe this because this was what everybody believed. Of course they accepted this as the truth because we all thought it was the truth. I thought it was the truth until I started studying. And I had to study a lot of hard texts. You know, like I had, to, I had to read like Greek and Hebrew and I'm dyslexic, you know, and, I, and this was back before I had a computer. So, I mean, I was buying all these different books and laying them out in front of me, looking at historical books, looking at books written by, um, <laughs> by Indiana Jones, um, you know, but, you know, like by all these people. So I could see pictures of the gods that were being referred to in Romans and these things, you know, and it all led down to these things, but it was really tough to study. And then I would study, the, study this stuff and feel really great about it. And then I would go to the Christian conference that I was speaking at and people would tear me to shreds. And this was before I was gay affirming. These people would tear me to shreds for grace, for questioning a certain part of the Bible, for questioning the, the actual Hebrew understanding of, of holiness, a Greek understanding of holiness, and they would be really pissed. And here it was, I was so excited about all this stuff that I had learned for, from doing this, this tough scholarship and then be shot down because they were hurt, because they were scared. They didn't like what I was saying because it wasn't what they were raised believing. And I was doing the same thing, but for me, I was relieved. I was like, oh, this is good news. 
this isn't what I always thought. And I'm saying to this to people, this isn't what you always thought. And they're like, have I bought into a lie? Have I bought, you know, I mean, all the insecurities that Reformation brings in. It's not just a bunch of people going, I want to be right. It's them going like, well, what if I'm wrong? What else am I wrong about? And it brings these great insecurities. And so is there a way, which I feel like I try to do, is say, let's confront these. Let's look at these insecurities. But at the same time, there's still a lot of good news. Yeah, you know what? One of the great things is you, you, you stop disliking a lot of people on both sides. On right or left sides, if we're going to Americanize it. Um, you know, if there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male nor female, we're all one in Christ. Like, if you do that on each side, it becomes pretty cool. You know? Um, looking forward to what the future holds and not using the past against others. That's what I just talked about. An education of... Uh, an educated reformation, a reformation that allows people to have good scholarship, good philosophy, uh, good theology, the arts, and all these, well, we're able to look at it with passion. Now listen, if I'm a high school dropout, can get good scholarship, you can get good scholarship. To the point where I was able to sit in to, to, to seminary classes just for fun and get invited to go to seminaries and invited to speak at seminaries. And I had no idea that would ever happen to me. You know, I got to speak at uh, the, a Princeton seminary, you know, to, and, and be the main speaker for a class. And I mean, I just, I, you know, I got to speak at NYU and be a speaker for their, I, these are things I never thought in my lifetime would happen, you know, all because I decided to go into the back section at the, at the old family Christian bookstore and start buying some of those, those big giant books which led to other giant books. Um, for Luther, our, our reformist 500 years ago, uh, Martin Luther, the reformist, uh, Galatians, the book of Galatians, as I love, <laughs> played a big part in Reformation. Paul played a big part in Reformation. And I believe, he, I believe uh, reclaiming Paul and... Um, and talking about forgeries in Paul's name and realizing who Paul really is and reclaiming Paul and remembering the idea of that when, when, when Luther said, uh, the one thing that cannot be mentioned enough, no matter how much I speak, is, is just a justification through grace. Justification through grace. That is the one thing that cannot be repeated over and over again because everything in our human nature, every legalistic bone in our body comes to take that away. And you'll see it. It does, even with like some of the most open, affirming, loving churches, they have an asterisk by the grace. They don't, re sometimes they don't even realize it, but they have an asterisk by grace on who they don't want, you know, uh, and they will start fighting other churches like nobody's business, you know, and, they're, and, I, and I don't think they do it out of a bad heart. I think they do it out of the idea that they're, they're helping defend other people, um, you know, but how do we do that in a, a lot, way that's loving to both people involved? And, and that's through communication. And a lot of times we don't want to communicate with others because that's where it gets messy and that's where it gets tough and that's where it becomes dying to ourselves and that's where it becomes time-consuming and that's where it becomes a sacrifice and that's where it becomes, uh, it doesn't, you know, all of a sudden it's not just making us happy. Now it's a job and now it's tough. But that's what, if real reformation is to happen, it's going to be tough. It's going to require that type of tough communications. 
and knowing what you're doing and to know your enemy and not only to know your enemy, but to love your enemy. Um, so for, for Luther, Paul was a big part of, of Reformation. And I will say this today that I believe Paul is still a huge part of, uh, of, uh, of the Reformation and reclaiming Paul. I used to be a part of a group I helped start, actually, called Red Letter Christians. I was one of the first, one of a few of them. I'm, I'm no longer part of that, but I would always be there and be like, man, but Paul, man, we got to get, we got to talk more about Paul. It can't just be Jesus, because look what Paul did with Jesus stuff. And, you know, we can't, we're not going to be Jesus, but we could be Paul, you know, and we can try to be both of these people. And some people I meet and sit down with, they hate Paul. I mean, it's like amazing to me. Like, why are you, you know, Christians who cannot stand the Apostle Paul? But I wouldn't stand Paul either if what I thought half the shit he wrote was not was actually him. I mean, I would have a hard time being like, this guy must be really suffer from bad mental illness because he's he's all over the place. Um, you know. Um, anyway, good scholarship. So there is also comes a point where there's more than just actually loving our enemies, but there becomes an allowance for nuance, you know? And that's what I love about Pete Rollins' work is like he does, he, he's done whole weeks on study weeks. Like he did this whole retreat in Northern Ireland on C.S. Lewis, you know? And C.S. Lewis is usually kind of seen as more of an evangelical, you know, writer and, and popular among the evangelicals and did that. You know, I mean, like there's allowances for nuances. There are allowances for people who failed in their path. There are allowances for people who don't necessarily toe our line. You know, that's what I like about philosophers is philosophers seem to be open to, to, to hearing different people who, you know, you, you're not really, you don't cancel somebody because of something they did in their life. You cancel them because their work is bad. You know, you go like, well, this work doesn't make sense or, or I don't agree with this work and it doesn't line up. So, so, so we're, you don't even cancel them because their work's bad. You, you just go like, this is not work that I subscribe to. And, you know, you watch these philosophers sometimes and they're like best of friends, living philosophers, you know, who disagree with each other, but they're still able to have that friendship in there and realize that the friendship is, is great, you know, and kind of, they, then they end up, you know, when they debate each other all the time, they look forward to the debates because of the times they spend afterwards. I mean, imagine a world that we lived in where that's where Christians were that way, where, where theologians were like that with each other. Um, so, boom, you know. Um, so we allow for nuances. We allow for disagreeing. We disagree well. We allow for nuances. We've got to start allowing for nuances. You know, uh, both sides and legalism doesn't allow for nuance. We've got to allow for nuance. We will continue to explore ways. Now, this is not all just about reformation. I am also saying this is what revolution is. This is the idea of revolution. If you are here, these are the type of things that are more important to me than even a community of us being together in some place. It is more important is that these are the ideas that you're having conversations about outside of this community. Because the world needs us and time is getting short. And I'm almost 50 years old. Some of you are older, you know what I mean? Some of you are younger, but man, I'm just saying like, how do we get this out there? I'm saying it's, this is our job, not some great group of people that we're waiting for to come. I'm saying this is our, what we're called to in work. So it might be time to start doing the hard work and picking up books, um, 
shaking to the foundations, I have one copy laying right here. Like, here's a great book to start with, you know? Um, and now that with being online and stuff, you can find a lot of great Greek and Hebrew stuff just online. Um, a lot of biblical history stuff online, um, you know? Um, so that's cool. Um, we will continue to explore ways we can do this in our lives by accepting grace, by accepting grace for ourselves, and we can share this by accept, extending grace for others. So we accept that we are accepted. And I, for myself, if I can realize that I am accepted with all my faults and all my own things, then I can realize other people are accepted as well. Um, and that restoration is also a powerful thing, that, 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 that when we believe in grace, that it could be up to us to restore people, even restoring our enemies and loving our enemies, you know. Um, I, I was seeing the other day that said, you know, remember we were reading, last week we were reading something, and I believe it was something Paul was saying, or Peter maybe, and it was like, you know, even forgiving people kind of puts hot coals on their heads, you know, when you love your enemies, it kind of, oh, they feel bad, you know. And so even if that's like, I like that idea that it's so human. Like, it's like, so listen, if you, you still, loving your enemies, you still get to kind of put hot coals on their heads. So, that, you know, there's some hope for you if you just want revenge. Um, you know, but restoring people and restoring your enemies and walking with your enemies, you know, because that's the one thing in Christianity, as you see, is when people kind of scatter, especially right when a bad thing happens. You know, they, they usually slowly get restored or they slowly come back or they just disappear. It's one or the other. But, but it's usually a slow process. But could you imagine, like, if we were there to restore the people who are enemies right away, like, we're the first ones in, like, hey, we're here to help, man. We get it. We understand this. We're called to grace. We're called to restore. You know, rather than waiting for their denomination to take five or ten years and then they become even worse. You know, I've seen that happen a lot. Anyway, um, but good, I'm going to say it again. We will use scholarship, philosophy, theology, art, and whatever we find uh, to bring about a reformation of grace. Because sometimes, you know, musicians and artists and uh, art from all backgrounds move me and show me the truth as well. And I think we, we, we got to not miss it. So I'm not just saying only these parts of the Bible. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying is all of life. Live life well. Drink in culture. Find out what of these cultures, what adds to this idea of reformation, of loving the other, of loving our enemies, of being kind to those who persecute us, but also being well trained in scholarship and philosophy and theology and holding these things dear that allow us to better simply love each other. So in some ways it's very simple. In some ways, it's just saying, how do we love each other? How do we die to ourselves? It seems simple, but it's not simple. These are really the tough things. These are really the things that most people don't want to do. You know, And I would say if there's ways to start doing that, it's even just like feeding the homeless and going down and just volunteering at a church that feeds for the homeless, you'll probably find out that you have to have more grace for the people who are, who are at that church than you do the homeless. Because <laughs> often some of our most conservative brothers and sisters do the best homeless feeding um, and, and clothing and things like that. Trust me, I've worked for these folks, and, and they often do. And sometimes my, my biggest struggle was, was with the theology coming down at me, not the theology going out. Those conversations were different. It was like, oh, you know. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm there feeding people and like, you know, you're the devil for voting for that person. I'm going, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> um, or the worst was is when I wanted, when I worked at another, uh, I worked at another job and then I was doing all this stuff with the homeless and I wanted to bring in my friends who, who I worked with and they weren't Christians. Like, well, we, you know, we just can't bring in non-believers because we just, we have so many believers that want to come in. You know, the believers have to get it, you know, are the, the first ones we got to bring in. I was always like, what? It was really hard to understand. But reformation of grace, for who though? For all. I'll say it again, for everyone. No one is beyond grace. Except my enemy. No one is beyond grace except my enemy. But guess what? Now this is where the community comes in. Oh, you thought community was all about making each other happy and giving us a safe place to be? Nope. <laughs> this is where the trick, I've tricked you, comes in. You love my enemy. And help me to love my enemy. So the one that I cannot give grace towards because it might be dangerous or difficult or strange... You, my friend, you in my community, I need you to love them for me. Because my personal experiences, there's things in my life that haven't got me to that point, but someone needs to love them. So your job in the community is to love my enemy, and I will do the best to love your enemy. And hopefully we do not become each other's enemy in that process because those folks need to restore and be a part of a community and hopefully our community eventually down the line and there can be really beautiful restoration that takes place. So, I might have to love that person from afar, but maybe you can go in and love that person. Who knows, maybe you'll marry that person. <laughs> well, and then we can be like, you know, hey, dating service. Um, if this sounds too simple to be good, like I said before, it's not simple. Sorry, I, sometimes I get ahead of my notes. It will require a lot of work and personal growth on our parts and as individuals. It will require a lot of dying to self constantly. It will be coming to the realization that pain is pain and that we will not get into the hierarchy of suffering of saying, well, my pain is worse because of this or that. And the one thing is realizing that this is bigger than all of us. This is bigger than any community. This is bigger than anything. This is bigger than all of us. This is something they're calling that's bigger than all of us. I, I honestly, I'm not here to blow smoke up your ass. My hope is that we will... My hope is that we will become the change we want to see. That it will cause you to be the change you want to see, that it will allow you to be the change you want to see, and that, you know, that will give us this ability to do that. Um... Now, this is where I want to get really honest with you guys about this stuff. Not that this hasn't all been an honest talk. This has not even been a Bible talk. This has just been, this is what I would like to see 
the goal of this church to do. And that might be why we don't have a physical community right now, why I don't build in a physical community right now, is because it's in a different place where this is the message that must be worked out and go. And, and for me, working on this documentary, man, I've been able to meet with a lot of people from my past who are very different than me, and my faith is very different. And some of these ideas that I mentioned them, they would think I was literally just an antichrist bringing this up. But it's slowly be, between the pain that we've shared together through the past has allowed me to have moments with some of these folks where we are just completely on two different planes, uh, theologically or, or, or scholarly, biblical scholarship. It's just completely different places, but our pain has allowed us to come together or our experience of being rejected has allowed us to come together. There is, there is a pastor uh, named Ron Lambright who just died in North Carolina, just passed away. And he's one of those pastors that was one of those pastors that always reminded me of a Jesus-type pastor. And the reason I say that is no matter how far I got away from his subscribed theology, he never treated me like a heretic. He never treated me like another. He never treated me like the enemy. He always treated me as though I was a little brother in Christ. And that would be the, the most of it, but he was just an older gentleman, and, and he always loved my family, and he always accepted my family, you know, which was easy to do because there was similar theologies there. But when my theology went, and nothing changed. And even points where he was like, Jay, we got to get you to come down here to talk with us sometimes and talk about what you're seeing and what you're thinking. and what, You know, this was true beauty of what I'm hoping we'll see is that we see people in our world where we're loving people so much that they don't even see our theology differences, but they see like a touch of grace. They see this idea of Jesus. They see this idea of love. They see this idea of acceptance. I know this is a tall order and most of us can't stand it. Most of us will get off here after listening to me and be overwhelmed and not want to do this again. But there's going to be a couple of you who play this over again. And when you play this over again, you're going to realize that it's not even about me and it's not about revolution and it's not about you, but it's something bigger than us and it's a bigger calling that we're called to do to help others live life well. And that there's not just theology built in here and good scholarship, but there's great philosophy built in here and there's great joy built in here because I want you to have a joyful life. But I think this is the way that leads to a better joyful life. So uh, I think this is the way that we have, we have less signs on Starbucks telling us how to act. So not only are we reforming the church with a capital C or Christianity with a capital C, but we might need to come in and say, hey, this is not just a way for Christians, but there's a way for all of us to live a life. And that's not being Christian supremacists or anything. It's not saying you have to live the Christian way of life. I'm not saying that. But it's just saying like concepts like arguing well, listening well, discussing well become things that are more of our lives. Because some of you here listening right now are not Christians and do not subscribe to Christianity. But there's something about this that brings you back. There's something about the ideas that you're like, oh, I'm going to take some of this stuff. It's like, hey, hey, I'm going to take some of this stuff and I'm going to leave the rest. You know what? In revolution, you can do that because I'm not here to convince you. I'm not here to convert you. I'm just here to love you and show you the grace. There's no hidden agenda. I used to have a hidden agenda and it doesn't work very well. Hell, I don't know if I believe half the time myself. I struggle with that. So I, what do I expect for you to, you know, well, as long as you believe 50%, you can come here, you know. Well, as long as you believe 40%, you know. 
Um, honestly, and this is, I wrote this down because I wanted to really share my heart with you guys. Um, here we go. Um, honestly, I've lost a lot of faith in this happening and not sure how long revolution can continue to go forward without, uh, with our continued financial issues. Honestly, we're just, I, I, I have an outside group that we hired years ago to handle our finances to make sure everything was above board. And, you know, my last text email from them was just a couple days ago saying like, oh man, losing that one donor has been a really big, big heavy thing. I'm sure you're holding, you know, it's hard for you as well. Um, so financially, I don't know if revolution will go on, but I know this message will go on. Um, and I know my work will go on and I know your work will go on and will always be towards this goal. And that's what I'm hoping. Like I, I will promise you one thing is that even if revolution becomes non-existent and I'm doing, you know, Jay Baker talks a lot, you know, whatever. The ideal and the concept is if you want to walk this way, I will walk this way with you. The idea of my life work is always going to be towards us, even you know, if I'm working at Costco or I'm putting up the conduct sign at Starbucks, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. My whole goal is, is to totally take those signs down eventually to help people argue well, to help people to see the church become a safer place and to speak truth to power if we can get the power to open their ears and listen to us. Because I think there's a really huge problem in this country with power and a really huge problem with all these platforms we have to use to even express our opinions with one another. So I hope we can wake up to this reality. Wake up, talk well, listen well, argue well, and believe it or not, live well. Find some joy in life. It's one thing with my children I've realized is very important is finding joy in life, taking time to do that. So, um, and the way I grew up, that's why we got to do this together. That's why it's not, this is not like some one man job or one leader job and where we, we create a cult of personality. It's not what we're called to do. So there you go. If you like this, if you believe in this, if you like this train of thought, if you like where this is going, this is always where the revolution train has been going. I just here to remind you. If you like what we're doing, you can go to revolutionchurch.com. And I'll tell you, there's a couple ways to support us. Uh, one big way to support us, obviously, is going to revolutionchurch.com and hitting that donation button and making a donation and consider making that donation monthly. That helps us a lot. Or make a gigantic donation if you want. We would be grateful for that, too. But to be honest with you, we're not bringing in a lot. Even for a church that has the numbers that we have, we're not bringing in a lot. Um, Every little bit helps. I know that sounds crazy, but that's just the goddamn truth. So please donate if you like the way this church is going and to hear what we're doing. Um, otherwise, I promise you, if this church closes down, you will hear my voice in other places. I, I won't stop speaking. That's just not what I do. It's not what bakers do, unfortunately or fortunately. Um, the second way you can help us, and this is a big one, and I know that you all are on... I know a lot of you are on social media <laughs> um, sharing our YouTube channel with other people, sharing uh, our, 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 
our, our, our podcast with other people. This is also a podcast, so people can listen on all sorts of platforms. They can listen on Apple. Um, they can listen on Spotify. They can listen to all those things. Sharing those links with other people and telling them about what we're doing. Asking people to subscribe to this, to like this, to put us in their, in their notifications so when we go on, they get a notification because we're not going to be... Church our size is not getting put into the, to the, to the brain of the YouTube, so we don't come up, or you know, whatever, whatever that thing's called. You know, we're not, we're not in that. You know, we're not big enough to be influencers. Um, but if that's another way you can help us is the algorithms. Yes, we are not in the algorithm, probably. So you can share and help by just sharing that, asking people to like what we do, and to follow us on YouTube to follow us on Instagram, to follow us on Twitter, to follow us on Facebook, to follow all those things. Like comments when you see them. Like talks. Like when I put up a talk, I usually get three likes. I know there's more than three people on here who could like that on Facebook or Twitter. It's usually three likes I'll get on Twitter and Facebook. So those are ways that you can help, but you can really help by resharing those, by retweeting them and doing that. So that's why you say, I don't have any money. Well, are you online? There's a way you can help. Um, but ultimately, right now, we need finances because being even an in-person church is not even a, an option for us right now because our finances are so low. And everybody's like, well, you got to do this to bring in people. Um, so there you know. Those are two things you could do to help us. Um, it, it would really help a lot. Um, but this is the direction we will go into. Reformation, my folks. There will be a reformation in the church. And... Uh, I will not go quietly in the night and I hope you will join me and we'll speak up wherever we are at and realize like community is here to help us support this mission. We're not a community who's like, oh, we're going to pick something to do. You guys are here to help support this mission and grow or you're here to listen and that's great too. Everybody's welcome. But hopefully the real major reason this community is we, we start to kind of put this work out there. We start to put this word out there. So, love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I will see you next week unless I decide to do a surprise uh, talk from uh, wherever I am. All right. Thank you. Have a great week. Bye. for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.